When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Alele elephants. Welcome to Monday evening and welcome to the Monday Night Euro Review Show from the Anglo-Italian Pod. As always, my name is Rory, and I'm joined by my very good friends... Adam and... Ben. How are you doing, everyone? How are we doing, boys? Ben, I'm going to start with you. How are we doing? Good weekend? Yeah, it was a good weekend. 96-minute winner is always very sweet. We've had a few of them this season, so... Yeah, it just makes that little... Makes that victory even a bit sweeter. So, yeah, it was a good... A good weekend. It was just a shame about Arsenal ruining everything yesterday. But other than that, not bad. <laughs> you can't have it all, mate. You can't have it no, all. No, exactly, exactly. I, I was looking at all the fixtures going, oh, fucking hell, Spurs won. Oh, fucking hell, United have won. Oh, fucking hell, City have won. Liverpool won. I was like, okay, Arsenal have won. Everything's fine. I can be happy now. Yeah. I can be happy. Um, Adam, how was your weekend, mate? Very much in the same vein. It's not very often that I wear Wick and Wanderers shirts, so you know we're doing something <laughs> right. Uh, we had an emphatic 5-2 win against Peterborough United, and I was talking to you offline. We have this incredible record. It seems like we've got a little bit of a hoodoo on them, a bit like I suppose Arsenal have on West Ham these days. But um, nonetheless, mate, how are you as well? I am very, very good. Obviously, Arsenal winning 6-0 doesn't happen every week. Um but I wanted to talk about the Alex. If we're doing Wickham chat, I want to talk about the Alex. We have now gone into third place in the um, promotion places in League Two. We've nice. got a youth product, Charlie Kirk, who's come back and joined the club. There's a bit of a feel-good factor. We're amongst the teams that have got much bigger finances than us. Everybody was putting <laughs> us down for relegation in the preseason preview. So just an all-round incredible season. Absolutely delighted with that. And of course, Arsenal doing well as well. And the AFCON final. I don't know if you boys managed to see much of it. Um, Osimhen disappointing. I think Napoli. I think Nigeria. Sorry, have been playing him through injury, which I'm sure Napoli will be delighted about. But Ivory Coast getting a new manager bounce and managing to win a tournament. Like Ben, did you see the game? It's incredible how they managed to get this over the line. Yeah, it's one of the most incredible stories in recent football history, especially with kind of the icing on the cake was obviously Haller getting the winning goal and kind of what he's been yeah. through on a personal level, obviously. But it's just so the stories that AFCON throws up kind of every time it comes around. But this year it just felt even more like it just been thrown into this kind of like orbit of just like, right, let's make the most nonsense, exciting tournament that we can. And it <laughs> delivered like it was just incredible. Like AFCON's always incredible value. Uh, it's just a shame that it doesn't necessarily get the eyes and the coverage that yeah. some other major tournaments do. It obviously that's kind of to do with the you know there is a real football you know it kind of gets caught up in the Premier League and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The eyes aren't on it because of that. 
But, you know, it's brilliant. It's been absolutely brilliant. It was a great final. And yeah, Ivory Coast, no one would have probably said that they would have won it when we were sitting here two or three weeks ago yeah. in the group stages. So, yeah, incredible. Incredible. I love Serge Aurier at the end as well. The, have you seen the video of him on uh, <laughs> Instagram <Shit>, Live? <laughs> I always loved Aurier. I always, there was always a part of me at Spurs, even though sometimes he could be one of the most frustrating people ever. But I've always held a little soft spot for him. So I was glad he kind of got his moment as the captain. He's the captain as well, right? Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it was him and Gradell who kind of shared yeah. it, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, please for yeah. him and please for Ivory Coast, yeah. Yeah, incredible stuff, incredible stuff. Um, I did enjoy seeing Max Gradell. Um, I did enjoy, enjoy seeing Nicolas Pepe getting his hands on a trophy. I was like, yeah. I'm glad you're not our problem, but I'm glad you've got that trophy. <laughs> but Adam, did you see Infantino, always keen to be on the headline, did you see the moment they handed over the trophy? So there was three fully grown men all trying to get their hand on quite a small trophy to be the one person to hand it over to... Um, to Gradel, he just can't help himself, can he? He just can't help himself. Oh, he's got to be the frame of everything, hasn't he? He has to be prime location in every situation, hasn't he? But yeah, doesn't surprise me one bit. I didn't see it, but I'll have to uh, definitely YouTube that later because that sounds like something else. I just want, I was just honestly screaming at the telly, just fuck off, Johnny. No one's yeah. interested. Like, yeah. it's not all about you. It's literally not all about you. Yeah, just have a little bit of dignity for once, will you? But Anyway, congratulations to Ivory Coast. Incredible for them. I think it's their third tournament win now. And yeah, AFCON never, ever disappoints, as you said, mm. Ben. And um, we don't have to wait long. We've got it again next year. So I cannot yes. wait. Come on. Um, but we are going to go back to more familiar ground and we're going to start with the Premier League. And I'm going to kind of be a bit self-indulgent. And um, the Hammers were hammered. Um Heading into this game, I was genuinely a little bit nervous. Like, West Ham have already beaten us twice this season. Um, obviously, the performance in the League Cup, we were absolutely woeful. Um, but I feel like when they beat us at home, we didn't play that badly. We just couldn't score. Well, this performance was everything that we've been doing recently, but finally putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, some mad statistics before I get your guys' views on it. Uh, Trossard now has as many goals as Freddie Lundberg did for Arsenal. I think Saka has now got 100 goal involvements, 51 goals and 49 um, assists. Um, Trossard currently has a better... The only two players that have played 1,000 minutes for Arsenal and have got a better goal-per-minute ratio are Thierry Henry and Robin Van Persie than Trossard at the moment. It is insane, the numbers that guy's putting up. But this performance in general, I just think it was everything clicked. Um, and we'll talk about how terrible West Ham were because they definitely helped. But um, I'm going to go to you, Adam. How impressed were you with Arsenal? Um, I feel like defensively as well, even at 6-0 mm. up, we did not want to concede. Like It kind of shows the spirit that's in that team at the minute. Yeah, certainly. I mean, there was a clip, I think, going around where obviously they were highlighting about West Ham and the fact they weren't exploiting that right-hand side very well. And it was just almost comfortable at times for Arsenal because although they kind of let West Ham have the possession at times, they kind of still kind of managed to squeeze them out of their area and push them up to the their third of the pitch, uh, pitch even. So, yeah, it was so comfortable at times for Arsenal. And I think, I think what was most disheartening for West Ham fans was just the lack of fight in certain times. Mm -hmm. Just They just did not seem to want to do the basics. And I think that's what's been really frustrating for them. But full credit to Arsenal because of the way they went about it was just incredible and they were so clinical um, that if it wasn't for, you know, the goalkeeper at times, it was going to be a whitewash, I think, 
Like, and you could see, obviously, I suppose what would have played on their heads and minds would have been seeing the crowds of people leave after 5 0 mm-hmm. in particular. <laughs> obviously, they would have come back second half going, Where the fuck's half this ground gone to? Um, but you know, just after 5 0 happens, that's it. You can just see the floods of people in the background mm-hmm. just kind of escape for the exit. Um, so yeah, really impressive. And I suppose what's mo- more impressive for Arsenal is that they've managed to keep that momentum going, even though they had a few injuries as well. You know, Kivor, who sometimes when he's been brought into the fold, he hasn't been as good. But now he's proving that he can keep that seamlessly in terms of that momentum. And the whole team, he kind of saw how Arteta was thinking about the approach as well and resting certain players and changing it up. So full credit to Arteta, the way he approached it. And, you know, Arsenal have the momentum, which I think will scare a lot of the other teams now. Yeah, no, well, exactly. Yeah, it looks like we're really clicking. Sorry, just a quick amendment. Trossard has as many goals as Alexander Hleb. Sorry, Bakayo Saka now has more Premier League goal involvements than Freddie Lundberg. I just needed to to, to, to correct that. But Ben, for West Ham, um, I'm not going to make you pick your favourite Arsenal goal, not yet anyway. But for West Ham, is this, it seems like a worrying times for Moyes. Obviously, they've not won a game this calendar year yet. Their last win was against us. Um, is this performance down to him? Is this the players just throwing in the towel because his future is unclear? Like, do you think this is just a mix of all? Like, what is happening at West Ham? Because that was about as uncommitted a performance I've seen in the Premier League since Sheffield United, maybe. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a typical what you'd expect from a um, David Moyes West Ham team. If they haven't got the quality, they still give you the fight. But... I can pick my favourite Arsenal goal. I thought Saka took his penalty really well. I thought he was certainly, took it certainly a lot better than last year. Yeah. Um, it, no, I, I'm joking. But he, um, no, but West Ham, I mean, just to say, Arsenal were superb and they have got that real momentum now, as Adam says, and they were full value for it. It did, there were, sometimes when you watch those games, obviously, you know, I, I wouldn't say I was a neutral in that game, but as a neutral, you kind of watch it. And it was one of those games where everything did go in for Arsenal. You could, that's kind of emphasised by the Declan Rice goal, just a hit. Like it was a brilliant goal, but you know, on another day that doesn't happen, and mm-hmm. those kind of things. And uh, you know, but it was just it all came down to West Ham's just complete disorganisation, especially highlighted at set pieces like that. You know, the Saliba goal that was so soft. That's a simple ball to come and deal with if you're Ariola, who I thought, to be fair, I mean, he he was in no man's land for the penalty. And obviously, I think you can lay an element of blame on him for that goal not being command enough in his area. But, you know, to be fair, a lot of the time, he was not helped at all by the defence in front of him. The fifth goal, like Saka's goal, where he cut inside, the amount of space he was afforded was just like mm-hmm. a joke. It was That was like what you were mm-hmm. kind of saying before, that they have given up. It yeah, was yeah. just like, that was, you know... And um, I think West Ham fans were completely within their rights to leave at half-time. You know, football fans pay a hell of a lot of money to go and watch their team. And, you know, it's not necessarily something I would do, but you can't blame people for doing it, like for going. Like, they pay their money and, you know, they've not seen a performance. And bear in mind as well, I think it just shows you how important someone like Pakatar is for West Ham because he, mm. you know, the over-reliance on players like Bowen and Kudus when Pakatar isn't in the team, especially without that number nine, Bowen's having to play mm. up front. Bowen's never going to get any change out of... Saliba and Gabriel yeah, you know yeah. Bowen's a quality player like I really like Jared Bowen and I think there are games where he can be useful up front but yesterday was never going to be one of those and um, so they're pretty too, it felt like it was going to be pretty toothless from the offset um, but Arsenal just bossed the game it was just mm-hmm. like it was just complete one-way traffic such a commanding display and it was you know was, you can probably throw every single cliche you want at that game yesterday but it really was men against boys I don't really know what this holds for 
David Moyes now. I was reading some things earlier that apparently they're still basically prepared to give him to the end of the season, but there is more scrutiny now because of the result yesterday and all that kind of stuff. I think there's been, it's almost a bit like, not to the same extreme, I was going to say about Palace, who actually have gone one nil up against Chelsea. <laughs> of course um, they have. I know. Have. Um, oh, brilliant. But it kind of feels a little bit similar to the Palace situation, but not quite as desperate in the sense that mm-hmm. I think the fans are very appreciative of what Moyes has done. Um, but I do think West Ham fans who kind of go and watch him every week, there well, is a real sense that the football has just not been any. They've got results like they're still seventh in the league. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Like, eight but that really now, doesn't eight eight now. now. Yeah. Like a few weeks ago, you know, they were five points off top four or something. Mm-hmm. You know, things can change very quickly. But I think. I think um, well, sorry, but I think when we had friend of the show Tom on, who's a West Ham fan last year, I think you remember Adam when we talked to him about mm-hmm. the Conference League. He said that the fans haven't been happy with Moyes for a while because their league form has been terrible. If it wasn't for the yeah, Conference yeah. League win last year, he wouldn't have been in a job because they were flirting mm-hmm. with relegation last year, right? Yeah, and when you look, like, when you take a step back and look at, like, objectively, the the results and the patterns of results, they do go through these massive lulls where they just cannot yeah. buy a win. And it just yeah. feels like we're looking, like they're staring down the barrel of one of them now. So I think... Mm. It'll be interesting to. I think he, they will give him to the end of the season. But the thing that blows my mind—I don't know if you agree with me, Adam—but they sold mm-hmm. four nails and Ben Rama yeah. in the window and didn't bring anyone yeah. else in. So of course, yeah. when like as Ben pointed out, when Pakatago is missing, or it doesn't go yeah, missing, yeah. that's as if it's, know, he's injured. Like he's... they've got zero options left. Like that's not Moise's fault, surely. It's not Moise's fault, but I would have thought that he probably has a say in terms of mm-hmm. who he wanted to come in. Potentially, it does sound like even with those two transfers themselves, it wasn't a clear cut because, to be fair, they kind of delayed it and delayed it. They didn't finalise the paperwork until very late. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why Leon yeah. kind of complained about Ben angry. Rama and the yeah. fact they got very angry about that situation because they could have missed out massively and they just try and spend a lot of money to stay up in the league at the moment. Um, but yeah, back to that West Ham situation. Yeah, I've, I've got a feeling that Moyes probably wasn't happy with the business that they did in that window. Um, they've done this kind of very on and off where they have a really shocking window and it's all down to the fact that they either aren't prepared or they don't kind of foresee the situation. And it does feel like there was kind of that disharmony. We saw it with the Skamaka transfer, whereby it didn't feel like that was a Moyes kind of target. That wasn't his style of player. And they shipped him off after 18 months, didn't they? So I think there's some disharmony behind the scenes around, is it a scout in an analytics team that are kind of dictating these transfers and who's advising who? So I think there is some sort of loss in translation. Um, but the board seemed quite happy with Moyes and what delivering. So it's really difficult to understand what what is who's in charge, who's actually dictating the transfers as well. So... Um, but yeah, you have to feel for Moyes at times. But I also think at the end of the day, that's his players and that's how he's getting them to play. But you can mm-hmm. see he was visibly frustrated with the way they were playing yesterday. And you think about that's now 10 goals now in the last 10 days that they've conceded. That is mm-hmm. yeah. a hell of a lot of goals to concede in that space of time. They've got a fairly easy run forward. But just a question whether they can actually pull it off. Yeah, well, before we move on to this game, I just do want to talk a little bit more about Arsenal uh, because it doesn't happen often. Um, my favourite goal um, is, I think, the Trossard goal because I love how it goes into the side net in and round the back. I find that really pleasing. Um, 
also the absolute cherry on top of bringing on Ethan Nwaneri at the end. Like all Arsenal mm. Twitter, this has been like the perfect week because we can win 3-1 against Liverpool and there'll still be some troll online going, well, Arteta doesn't play young players. So not only did we win 6-0, we brought on the 16-year-old. And I I was watching the game with the missus and she was like, oh, is this a 16-year-old? I was like, yeah. And she was like, which one? And he was next to Cedric and he's bigger than Cedric. Right? She was like pointing at Cedric going, that one, no, 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 he's useless in 32. The other one, <laughs> he's the one we're excited about. What I really love, and I think Arteta in the quote afterwards, uh, after the game said, it's really important to have the trust of your teammates, and all of the te- all of the team on the bench were telling Arteta, "Bring him on, bring him on, bring him on." And not only that, but when he came on, Erdogan was giving him the ball at every single opportunity. Yeah. It was like, "Get this guy involved. We know he can do something." Now I know it's been ten minutes, fifteen minutes, if that, right? But I did like how calm and assured he looked on the ball. I don't think he misplaced a pass. He just looked. He was constantly in space. I thought this is a player that we're all super excited about. We're all trying not to get too carried away. But very, very, very excited about him. So I was really happy about that. Um, so yeah, all round, a bloody good day. And I think if Liverpool or City go and get a win like that away from the uh, away from home in the Premier League, people are going mad about it. So I'm glad that people are talking about it a little bit. And Paul Merson was kind of fighting our corner a bit in the post-match, being like, you know, this is a statement win. So it's good to see. But I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. I think that's enough now. Um, so we're going to leave Arsenal there. Um, with the lovely 6-0 win. And we're going to move on to, um, should we do Manchester United? I feel like that was a big game. Um, Man United make a statement. Now, Ben, me and Adam said on the show on Thursday, this is a huge test for United. This is a game they should be winning because Villa have been in terrible form. Um, And they did it. So, job done, right? Yeah, it's a really interesting one yesterday because I can't... Even kind of 24 hours after the game, I still can't really work out whether Manchester United necessarily deserved it. It kind of felt like mm-hmm. it was almost an archetypal one of those wins under Eric Ten Hag mm-hmm. where they go away from home, they get put under a hell of a lot of pressure from an Aston Villa side that was certainly much better than they were against Chelsea um, and have been, I think, in the home defeat against Newcastle as well. Obviously, they've been on a bit of a rocky run, Villa, recently. But yesterday... I thought United started the much better team. First 15 minutes, all the kind of, you know, old-fashioned things you want from your team, winning your headers at set pieces, that kind of thing. They looked a lot more threatening going forward. I feel like they've... We were talking about this last night on a Twitter space I was doing, and it was almost like we had a couple of United fans on there. And I sort of said to them, it's like it feels like United have found not necessarily the philosophy, but they've found the balance of that front four now, I think. It looks a lot better with Garnacho on the right, Rashford on the left, despite obviously Rashford's difficulties recently. And I didn't think he had a particularly good game. I thought it was very ineffective yesterday. But in just terms of the balance of the team, and Fernandez in the hole, and then Hoyland up front, who's obviously completely kicked into gear since the Aston Villa game just after Christmas. And it feels a lot better from that point of view. But there are still so many glaring issues there. You know, their midfield was getting cut apart with one pass so frequently after they went 1-0 up, which I think they deserved to go 1-0 up. They mm-hmm. started better, but Villa just it almost ignited a fire in Villa and they were able to cut through United so easily. Jacob Ramsey was such a handful kind of operated in those half spaces, giving Dallow a load of problems, obviously with Moreno outside of him as well. I think if Villa were a little bit more clinical in front of the goal, they would have easily gone in at halftime one all. It wasn't really Watkins day. He had a couple of half chances that he snatched at. Mm. Should have scored that one that went straight at Anana. Um, but I think if... It, and obviously, a huge blow for Villa as well. Kamara's out for the rest of the season. Mm. So that's a massive massive problem for them that they've got to address now because I thought he was really effective yesterday as well as Douglas Louise, who completely mm. grew into the game in the second half and obviously got his goal. Um, 
But United, it's like, is it, I mean, I've been very quick to get on United's back on here and various other channels and stuff, you know, and just talking to my mates or whatever. But, you know, maybe maybe it's not such a coincidence that they're kind of getting these late goals. Maybe there it is about staying in games and maybe they have found a little bit of identity as almost a counter-attacking team. I don't want to give them too much credit because it feels a little bit like it's happened by accident, Yeah, if I'm being <laughs> totally honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously they've got someone off the bench in McTominay who can come on and create those moments. It was a bullet header. It was like a brilliant, a brilliant goal and a, a brilliant cross as well. But yeah, just it, for me, to, to me, I think my main takeaway was that I think you you have to credit United, but I still think that it felt very Ten Hag, like a very like the sort of result that you're not surprised at. In the sense they go away, they get that sort of win, don't really deserve it, grab a goal at the end. But maybe, yeah, maybe you do have to give him some credit. He, but I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure I'm there yet. He's gone. It, it feels like the foundations are made of sand for me. Still, yeah. it feels like there's it's yeah. all waiting to collapse. It's like Hoyland has been fantastic. It's great to see him finally hitting form and really looking yeah. at home. Garnacho again, like as you said, that front mm. four really looking promising. But yeah, it still feels like it's all ready to crumble quite quickly. And what I really like about Ten Hag is that all of a sudden he got very revisionist, right? Because this is the first time that they've won away to a top nine team, right? Yeah. I love how Sky Sports make these stats like they take yeah. against the top that, nine bro. team, right? Um, it's the first time they've won away. And all of a sudden that meant that they should have beaten us at the Emirates. It meant that they should have won at Anfield. It meant that they should have done this. It meant that. Sh- and I feel like at times he's just the most deluded man where I'm like, this is why it's built on sand because you feel yeah. you come across as so insecure when these things happen. Like you can't just be like, no, good win on the road, done next game. You're like, oh, yeah. and this is why we've been fantastic the whole time. Like, if you know what I mean, it just, it feels like there's really a lot of, um, yeah. it happened against there. Newport, it even happened against Newport as well. Like when mm-hmm. he got so irate <laughs> yeah. in the yeah. interview <laughs> afterwards, uh, I yeah, can't remember yeah. the question that was posed, but he got so so irate about it and was just like mm. you just beat a team in league was it league two league or league two. one in the fa league, league two, two yeah league, yeah in the fa cup and it's like you're getting your back up that much a question mm. posed well maybe were you a bit fortunate etc etc it's like like you said i think he just needs to get better at having that thing of just almost take a leaf out of someone like arteta or postacoglu's book or whatever just say yep yeah, good win let's go let's next go one. again next week yeah. because people will get off his back that way if you if you mm-hmm. kind of turn away from that if you turn everything into almost like you said, it's it's so revisionist and it's kind of just moving the goalposts every week. And it just, I find it so, so bizarre. And I think if that was, if that, if I was a player or if I was a Man United fan, despite the fact that I think there always, there's always going to be this kind of witch hunt for Ten Hag, but also, you know, it doesn't fill you with a lot of confidence. If that was my manager. You kind of want him to stand up for you and say, no, look, I think, which he yeah. does do that, but there's a way of going about it. And I think, like you said, I think you nailed it. Like he comes across as incredibly insecure and petulant at times, mm-hmm. which doesn't help at all, especially after you won a big game. Like just move yeah, on. Just take the win. Just be like, I'm happy with the performance. Yeah. We've won. On to the next one. We're pushing for Europe, right? Mm-hmm. And they genuinely got a massive shout kind of at the Champions League. Now the six points behind yourselves, Ben. Um, they've got one three in a row in the league. Um, but Adam, for Villa, two wins in the last five um, as Villa Park was a fortress, not so much anymore. Of course, the last game they won yeah. there was against us. Um, but is this a cause of concern for Villa? Um, Emery's substitutions had a lot of Arsenal fans going, ah, uh, we recognise those. Yeah, kind of almost gifted that. the game to United at the end, right? 
Yeah, it's it's not looking too great at the moment, does it? As they haven't, they've lost that kind of form that got them into those high positions at this stage. And um, yeah, potentially they just need to step back from the approach. Maybe just review like certain people and their positions at the moment. Because I think I've been really disappointed by the likes of Musa Diaby, for example. Mm-hmm. He came in with a lot of hype. I was really impressed with what I saw at Leverkusen. But he hasn't been able to necessarily do that on a consistent basis. And, you know, Nicolo Zaniolo as well, who was brought in, hasn't necessarily he's done a much player, either. But he's not we know about it. Yeah, we know consistent. about the potential. This yeah, is the thing. Yeah. I think this is the problem. Mm-hmm. So outside of his first choice eleven, I think he struggles. He genuinely struggles mm-hmm. with like how he fits them and integrates them. And yeah, I think there was a few performances that were quite off for yesterday. And obviously they were quite off in the previous match against Chelsea as well. They were so poor in terms of the approach as well. Um, so I think that's going to play on his mind a bit um, because we know sometimes actually Emery, he works so hard, but he probably overthinks things. And I think yeah. there's also the element of with Aston Villa, and I don't know if you guys have noticed it, when he start off within 20 minutes or so, he'll change the way in terms of formation that they play. So sometimes it's like a back three and then other times it's like back five. And, mm-hmm. and, and that must confuse the players sometimes if yeah. they've got a team like Man United that going at you. And they're like, who are we supposed to pass this to? What what kind of style are we supposed to play? Is it more kind of direct? I think that's where it's playing a part. And obviously, they weren't able to do much business in this window either. Um, they did get that Rogers from Middlesbrough, who yeah. I do rate. But I think, again, he's going to take time. So, mm-hmm. look, I think they're doing respectively really well. I wouldn't have expected Villa to be pushing for the top four personally this season. But look, they're still in Europe as well. So I think, you know, everything's there. I mean, they're just going through a really dodgy patch. And you know what? All it'll take is a scrappy win and then they'll get the momentum again. So I think they'll be fine. Well, this is it. And exactly. And as Ben said, on a different day, I think Villa get a result. <laughs> like on a different yeah. day, I think they do win it. Like they weren't outplayed by any means. But I think part of the frustration with Emery and it's something that does make him so good is that he comes up with these individual plans for each team and it's like you know it's all video analysis and it's all like this is our plan for this game but it does lead to confusion in teams and you don't have that routine every week of this is who I'm I pick up the left back or whatever it is right it is always it's a lot of mental load on the players and it's what happened at Arsenal towards the end where it just turned into confusion it just turned into complete confusion and then you're letting up 30 shots against Watford and you're like what the frick is going on like where are we um but I think the Villa still having a fantastic season they will turn it around but just yeah, a few growing pains maybe um, coming out of that fantastic Christmas period. But let's leave United and Villa there. And Ben, we're going to go over to you. Um, Brennan Johnson at the death. Now, I hope you didn't celebrate too much because you've not won anything, right? Bear that in mind. You've not won anything. I hope it was just a calm handshake and left out the stadium, right? Yeah, didn't even smile. Didn't even no, no, good, smile. good, good. Just watched the goal go in. Stood up, clapped. He did the Ange, basically. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I gave myself a quiet little fist bump, but that, nothing more than that. No, I, I mean that. Obviously, we weren't on here last week, so I didn't really didn't really get to talk about. Well, I didn't get to talk about the Arsenal Liverpool thing, and it was just like we've been accused of it so many times this yeah, season yeah. because we've had last minute winners against Liverpool and Sheffield United, which came about in ridiculous circumstances. Obviously, especially with the Liverpool one, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like if you can't enjoy, like life is miserable. Like if you're a football fan, <laughs> if you can't enjoy going to like it's similar to what we talked about with West Ham early, you pay a lot of money to go and watch a team. It's like if you can't enjoy those moments, then what can you enjoy? Because football is such a release and escape for everybody. And people, I've always find like 
that that kind of narrative comes from people that have probably never been to a football game in their life. Like that's yeah. where it all comes from. And I think that's why the point with football Twitter anyway, but on the game, obviously it was, it was such a bizarre game. I'd imagine if you were a neutral watching that, it would have been incredible. Um, mm. I thought that it was a, a bit of worryingly what's becoming a sort of almost like typical slow start from Spurs. Obviously, Welbeck had a decent chance within a minute mm-hmm. of the game. Vicario making another really good save. Um, then Brighton. I was really impressed with Brighton. Like really, really. I thought. Don't get me wrong. I thought Spurs were good. I thought mm-hmm. we. I'm not. It's difficult to say whether we deserved it or not. I'm not 100 sure. I think Brighton can feel hard done by, especially in the manner that it happened to conceding that late on. But I was so so impressed with Brighton. Billy Gilmore, I think, is a player that was almost ruled. Um, like he was almost kind of disregarded last season. I think yeah. people mm. just, he was, you know, there was a lot of hype around him when he first came through at Chelsea. Didn't quite work out for him when he went to, was it Norwich that he was at yeah, last season? Yeah, they hated him, eh? They, they really hated, hated him. him. Yeah. And, um, but at Brighton, he's been a revelation and he was superb. Him and Pascal Gross in midfield, they know, someone, I was listening to one of the Spurs podcasts after the game on Sunday morning and, someone on there made a really good point about, you know, I think there was a lot of Spurs fans that were really, really impressed with Brighton and the way that they played. Obviously, we got the result, but I think there was just a general acceptance of how well they played. And I think, despite the fact that the Europa League has kind of hamstrung them a little bit in terms of their league form, I think it's allowed that pattern of play to really absorb in and those players to play a lot of games together. Because the way they play out from the back is superb. Our press was useless because they were just brilliant at finding that space in midfield with Gilmore, so composed on the ball. Lalana as well. Again, incredibly mm-hmm. impressive for, you know, a player of his age. I've been, you know, we don't need to talk about how underrated Pascal Gross is because that's just becoming a boring conversation in itself. Yeah. Because, yeah. He's just, a, he's an incredible footballer. So I was, yeah. I was really impressed with Brighton, but um, I was also impressed with the way that Spurs responded after the goal because there were elements of the performance that were sloppy, especially in that first 25 minutes. I've spent the last month banging the drum for Rodrigo Bentancourt and I think I've put the mockers on him a little bit because now it's coming to light that I really don't think he's ready. Like I don't think he's recovered properly from that injury yet. I think there was something that came out the other day talking about how Spurs didn't really anticipate him, him, to, him to be up to full peak in terms of his match performance until next season. Um I think we wanted to have a more of a bedding in period than we've had with him, but obviously losing like Supersuma and obviously he had another injury. And I think the way that he came back initially after that setback in the first few games against United, he was just majestic. Uh, Bournemouth, his first start on New Year's Day, uh, New Year's Eve, he again, he was magnificent. But I think the pace of the game was just a little bit too much for him in the first 20, 25, 30 minutes, especially with the way that Brighton pressed. They made it a nightmare for him. Obviously, him giving the ball away on the edge of the box led to Brighton's penalty. But I think he regained composure. I thought he was excellent in the first sort of 15, 20 minutes of the second half before he came off. And I think Spurs just grew into the game as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was I was impressed with the way that we turned it around. We gave up a lot of opportunities in the first half that we probably, like despite maybe not deserving to go level at the break, we should have been. It just wasn't Richardson's day either. He's added an incredible few months, but it just felt like one of those games where, yeah, it, yeah, it just all kind of unraveled from a little bit. There was a few passes early on which it was just a bit sloppy. Um, but, you know, we got back into the game in the second half. I thought I made a video about it earlier, talking about Christian Romero, because his performance was just incredible on Saturday. He set the tone for Tottenham. Him and Pat Matasar, who got the equaliser, they were the two of the only two of the only players on the pitch that really showed that 100% dominance, assertiveness, aggressiveness. Obviously, there's been a lot of narrative around Romero about him being rash, but his aggressiveness was what won us that game. He won pretty much every duel against Welbeck, going through the back of uh, 
the centre forward, winning the ball back, setting Tottenham to be on the front foot. Those turnovers on the halfway line, he was just incredible at that. And Pat Matasar, exactly the same. And he got his deserved goal. Ange made changes that were questionable. Uh, Kulisevsky was really coming into the game and he came off after the goal. Was saw in the stadium, he was visibly unhappy about that. Yeah. But it was vindicated in the end. Brennan Johnson, who came on, and there's been a lot of talk about Brennan Johnson, but he had a poor game. But he was there. He was there in the moment to, to grab feels- the winner. And- yeah, sorry. It feels like one of, like a big moment for him, right? Sometimes yeah. players need a moment like that where it mm. kickstarts something. And like, there's been a bit of talk about him. Is he fitting in? Is he gonna like? And a moment like this can really be a catalyst for like, look, you belong here. You've got that moment that the fans are gonna talk about. Now 100%. you can relax a little bit, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. And he's had, you know, he had one of those against Brentford as well. He scored the second mm-hmm. goal to turn it around in that one. But you know, that game was far from won. He won the game for us, and I think Ange talked about it afterwards and I think he, he recognizes that you know he is he is struggling and obviously when you compare him to someone like Kulusevski who came to the Premier League at a very similar age obviously very different profiles of players playing in the same position but he's come through at Juventus where the expectation yeah. and the pressure is so high and Brennan Johnson's come from Nottingham Forest and that's no disrespect to Nottingham Forest you know an amazing club with great history but it's just not the same and I think some players take ages to ad- adapt or well, not ages but longer than others and I think I'd say to my mate the other day, like, if football Twitter was as prevalent as it was in 2015 where we signed Son Heung-min and he stunk the place out in the first year, then we'd all be looking at ourselves and hanging our heads in shame. And I think Brennan Johnson has got all of the credentials to really explode into that kind of profile of winger that Ange really likes. And I think there's a reason that he keeps bringing him on and, and started him. And I think, like you say, I think sometimes some players just need that moment to, to kind of catch fire. And I think he's, you know, he's a young guy. He's not a kid, but he's a young mm-hmm. guy. And I think yeah. he's probably acutely aware of the narrative around him. And, uh, you know, that doesn't help either. But I think, you know, to have that moment, I think Andrew as well spoke about in terms of how he's being used. If he can't affect the game in terms of... Because my my I really like him, but my biggest critic of him is he's not brave enough. He doesn't want to take okay. players on. He's like, sometimes he ducks out of things and it's just like, he's got the pace, he's got the ability mm. to take your man on and he just doesn't do it often enough for me. But we saw it against Brentford uh, and we saw it yesterday that he can arrive perfectly timed at the back post to score those kind of goals. And especially mm. when you've got the delivery like from Son who came off the bench and just shows exactly why... Mm. He is a world-class forward, a brilliant delivery, you know, in a clutch moment as well to kind of secure that win and, and put it on a plate for him. And I think he's got the pace and he's got the ty- anticipation of, you know, the movement and the timing to get into those positions. And if he can grab us, you know, another three or four goals like that between now and the end of the season, regardless of what the performances say, then I think that's a really solid base to then kick on from next season and kind of tweak mm-hmm. elements of his game to make yeah. him a better player. There's, there is a player in there, I'm convinced of it. It's yeah, no, moment. absolutely. I think you could see, sorry, Adam, you could see his quality All, when yeah. he was a forest, right? Oh, I was just going to add just quickly, three seasons ago, he was on a loan spell at Lincoln City where Nottingham Forest didn't even know his potential, right? Then they brought him back, called him into the championship when Steve Cooper took over and they were from the relegation zone, got him into the playoffs. Then he had a spectacular season last season, obviously, with Nottingham Forest in the league to then transition to a transfer to Spurs. I mean, look, the guys had a lot of growth in the space of that time. To yeah. expect him to be at the same levels as Kulusevski, for example, or Ben Tancor is just absurd. I think that's yeah. the difference. Is I think with Ange, he's going to have patience, someone that understands 100%. that he's still raw talent. And I think that's the probably the element that is sometimes lost in transfers like this is their journey, like where yeah. they've come from to this point. 
And he's he's definitely a signing that I would say he's there for the future. He's not necessarily just yeah, for this yeah. season. You've got to think a bit long term. But that's a problem in clubs. And I think maybe springs the kind of conversation like Charles de Ketelet at Milan yeah. wasn't given that kind of chance to kind of develop. But there's yeah. kind of that anticipation. He has to deliver in this one season. And if he doesn't, then write him off. He's not good mm-hmm. enough for this club. And I think that's the mentality fans have got to remember that some of these players that they're going to buy, they're not going to be necessarily at the same level as, let's say, an Osserman or Kvartskelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't expect them to be world-class every match. And that's the difference. Yeah. And I, That's the only point I wanted to add on that one as well. No, no, I think it's absolutely I, fair. And I think it's a really good point of like the journey he's been on in quite a short amount of time. And people do forget that, especially in the Premier League, right? Football doesn't exist outside that division. Yeah. Right? So people do forget quite quickly. But just because I'm slightly aware of time, we're going to finish the Premier League with... Well, none of us bloody saw this coming. Um, there mustn't have been a sandwich in the building. Everything <laughs> went perfect for Chris Wilder. Adam, Sheffield United 3, Luton 1. Ruddy hell. Luton only turned yeah. up for the big games. What's this? Uh, this is the thing. I, I think narratively, this was kind of perceived as, oh my God, Luton Town have lost ground. They've kind of lost points. But on the day, Sheffield United were just more clinical than them. And mm-hmm. that's the only difference. When you look at the XG stats, for example... Luton Town didn't do badly. It's just the fact that they had lots of shots on goal and they couldn't convert. And it was due to two factors, very resolute defending from Sheffield United. They saw the opportunities there that they had to ride it out sometimes, especially when you've got players like Ross Barkley. And I don't know if you guys saw it, but pretty much every time he got on the ball, there was at least two players on him. So it made sure that he didn't have enough time. And they obviously knew that from the previous games that he had. But then also at the other end, they were just putting a lot of pressure. They were just putting a lot of pressure on the defenders. I think that was a really well-earned win for Sheffield United. And look, they've showed a bit of quality in the last few games, albeit they have lost. Um, But yeah, I I think this was a really good result for Sheffield United. Looking at the kind of runs that they both got, I still fancy Luton Town to finish above Sheffield United, regardless of this result. Um, But yeah, I suppose it was against the run of form because Luton Town has displayed so superbly in the last few matches that they've been probably exceeding everyone's expectations. Mm-hmm. And they got to this point where people thought, ah, oh, they're going to climb up the table and this kind of result sets them back. I don't see it that way. Unfortunately, you're going to have games where it just doesn't happen for you. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like Luton Town was shit on the day. They were no, genuinely just... trying. This is thing. Yeah. I'm just looking at the stats. They had 20 shots, but only five on target. Like Sheffield United had three shots on target and they all went in. Like sometimes it's just not your day, is it? Like, but I think, as you said, Luton have shown enough quality there. But for Sheffield United, the most important thing is that they are officially better than Derby County. So Derby County's record continues and it lives on, thank God. Um, and, and my mate, who is a Sheffield United fan, messaged me with a great sign of relief of like, okay, we might go down but we're not yeah. going down with that record. I'll yeah. take it. Absolutely take it. Um, but elsewhere in the Premier League, very, very quickly, Nottingham Forest 2, Newcastle 3. Newcastle this season have now got more goals than Kevin Keegan's entertainers. Um, but Eddie Howe is getting very angry about the label of the entertainers. He wants to kind of get across this image of them being um, disciplined, but I don't think it's really happening. No, um, no. Haaland came back with two goals and a 2-0 win for, Everton, uh, for Man City. Don't know why I even bothered getting my hopes up for this one. If anybody <laughs> wants to jump in with anything here, Brentford 2, Wolves nil, Fulham beating Bournemouth, um, yeah. and of course Liverpool beating Burnley. Um, any Any comments? 
I think the Liverpool Burnley one's an interesting one. I thought Burnley were actually pretty unlucky not to get a point. David Fafana looks like I know he obviously missed two pretty decent chances in the second half, but that's a really good bit of business from Burnley, I think, because he saved them last week against Fulham, got those two goals, and then he could have easily had another brace this week. Um, so I think I think a lot of Burnley fans will be encouraged by that. You know, they went they were deservedly level at half time. I thought they were very unlucky with the second goal, to be honest. And I, we, I mean, we didn't touch on the the VAR decisions in the Sheffield United Luton game, the handballs. But true, I, yeah. I thought this was kind of one that went a little bit under the radar as well, where McAllister just completely kicks through. I can't remember what Burnley midfielder it was on the edge of the box, and he then goes down rolling around. But if you actually watch it back, and it leads to Diaz's goal, but McAllister just kicks through just the Burnley player. Yeah, yeah. And if the mm. Burnley player then goes down and starts rolling around, it, that is a foul all day. So I think mm. Burnley were pretty unlucky with that one. Um, so, but I, again, I think they'll be encouraged. I think the, the, I think the race, I said the race for relegation, the relegation battle, I think is, um, I think it's far more, obviously, I think the story of Luton is making it very, very interesting. But I mm-hmm. actually think it's nowhere near as like, I, I think it's a lot more interesting than people think because I think Burnley, like they'll be encouraged by that performance. I think Sheffield United going away, nobody would have sort of seen that, but it was a really good display. You know, these teams aren't giving up yet. They're not mm. giving up. I think we'd seen, I think it's easy to look at Sheffield United and say they're down. And I, I think they will go. I think Burnley will probably go as well. But, I, you know, I think both of them are going to make a good fist of it. And I wouldn't be surprised mm. if either of them get some really decent results between now and the end of the season. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think it was a, I feel like the last couple of weeks, it always happens when you kind of get those midweek games sandwiched in at the end of January because mm. it feels very congested. These are kind of often the weeks that, even though it's we've still got a long way to go, that actually shape the season a lot. I think we've seen the top three really take shape, fourth to sixth take shape, and now I think that relegation battle has... I mean, it's kind of been like that for a long time, but I feel like the table's really taken shape now. So, yeah, it's, mm. it's going to be a really interesting end to the season, I think. And I don't think that relegation battle is nearly at all done. No, well, Palace may be dragging Chelsea into it at this rate. We shall see. Yeah. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's Fingers hope. crossed. <laughs> let's hope so. But we're going to leave the Premier League there and we're going to go over to Italy. And what a weekend. Oof, goals everywhere. Um, let's start with Roma Inter in a shootout. Oh. This game, I absolutely loved this game, by the way. I was so I was watching it and I was just thinking to myself, I'm so glad Mourinho isn't the manager because it's just two sides absolutely going for it. And um, Adam, Roma properly scared Inter for a while. And if it wasn't for Lukaku, they probably would have got something from the game. Yeah, Lukaku is probably a different subject altogether. He does look tired. We at can the moment, come on but... to that. Yeah. yeah, we can go on to that. Um, yeah, completely, I suppose they've brought that form from the last few games. De Rossi with the expansive style of football. We talked about on Thursday about Pellegrini and how much of a reformed play he is under De Rossi. Mm-hmm. It looks like he's got a new vein form. He's kind of got a free spirit. He can start dictating the play. And I'm sure Spalletti will be purring his lips seeing these performances for the national side. Um, but this was genuinely a... Game that I I said I didn't expect Roma to do much and I didn't expect them to win, um, but they definitely scared Inter. And I think the conditions definitely played a part. Obviously, yes. Inter weren't able yeah. to play their usual kind of fluid kind of style of football. Um, and it showed, you know, look, Roma adapted to it a lot better than Inter initially. 
Um, and it was only because I think second half Inzaghi kicks a rocket up their asses and tells them to pull their kind of asses together and do something about what they were doing on the pitch. And, you know, as shown in Marcus Turam, the way he went about it as well. But Roma really did give them a scare, really did give them a scare. And you know what? There's always a quality team in Roma. Look, you have to give it to Mourinho. He assembled a really good, strong team, but not necessarily the style of football, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And I think De Rossi's kind of given that belief to the players. They're still kind of a young team in that respect as well. There's a lot of youngsters in there. Um, but they're going to be buzzing because, you know, getting this kind of experience where they've gone toe-to-toe with a team like Inter, and they gave it much more of a fist fight than, say, Juventus did the previous weekend. So I think, you know what, um, they can be proud of their efforts, but look at where they are in the table as well. They're still yeah. within a shout of being in the top four, which is... You wouldn't have said that about Mourinho when he got sacked all those weeks ago. So, um, yeah, fantastic effort from them. And I suppose we also have to give credit for the way Inter came came back into the match, right? They showed, yeah, that was really good. They showed a lot of character, eh? Because as you said, the weather was not helping anyone. Mm. I think chaos was only ever really going to help Roma in this game. Um, and I, what I was really impressed by with Roma is I saw more intense pressing in five minutes than I've seen for the past six months at Roma. Like <laughs> when the second Inter had the ball, they yeah. did not leave them alone. It was constant harrying. It was like mm. just what you want to see from a side. And like when you, you can tell that De Rossi's got that attitude. And I mm. absolutely like love him and his comments after the game and the type of person he seems to be. Because obviously... The controversy here was that the Acerbi goal was given despite the fact that Turan was in an offside position. Now, I think that there was no problem with the goal. It should have stood. Everything was fine. And De Rossi, after the game, came out and said the same. He was like, look, we don't want goals like that to be disallowed in football. There's no problem with it. And I think you look at that compared to how Mourinho would have dealt with that situation. And it's just night and day. And I think you can just see it on the pitch and the vibe around the club he obviously just fucking gets it. And there's been a really good mm. start to his reign. So I think it's fantastic to see that. Really impressed. I loved seeing Baldanzi come on. Like, obviously, yeah. a player we're really excited about. I think he's really going to get a lot of opportunities there as well. Mm. Um, he came close to scoring at one point. I think he had a shot that wasn't too far over the bar. Um, he looked lively when he did come on. But we need to talk about Lukaku. Ben, the first touch. And he, he wanted about half an hour to take it around the keeper. <laughs> but he didn't actually touch it to take around the keeper. It's just classic Lukaku, right? Yeah, this was the chance at 3-2, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. No composure, like, whatsoever. That was such a huge moment in the game. It just... It was almost like... The only way I can describe it was almost like if you're playing FIFA and your controller runs out of battery and it's just like, he just stops. (laughs) And it was just like... It was just... Yeah, it was like watching it in slow motion. I mean, I... I, I, Yeah, I, I, I don't know where... I am with Lukaku. Like it's kind of gone past the point of just like maybe it's just not happening for him. But I think mm-hmm. it's just gone past that now because I think, like you said, especially with how Roma have responded to uh, De Rossi coming in, I think it's more than just that kind of uh, new manager bounce in the sense that you know you quite often see that with the intensity levels go up. But I think especially when you have someone that comes in that really gets it and. Um, is loved by the fans and obviously by the players they look up to him as well I think it's just a shame that Lukaku didn't quite maybe maybe the kind of pressure of that almost got to him a little bit and the fact that they were kind of really going toe-to-toe with the best team in the league and maybe it all, was all just in that moment mm. they just showed that lack of composure that we have seen from him 
a lot. I, I think it was almost like a little bit typical of the game because there was so much quality in it. But there was also moments like you touched on that Acherby goal, which is a very strange goal. Like there were mm-hmm. quite often mm-hmm. in those games where it is very end-to-end chaos. Like some of the goals were superb, but also there were moments where it was just incredibly bizarre. Like the Acherby goal, a very odd one, that kind of looping header and then the check for the offside. And then you see like El Shuari's goal. Like that was an incredible finish. Mm-hmm. Like and it, it's always kind of so satisfying when it comes back off of both posts like that. Yeah. And then you look at the composure that Turam score, uh, showed to mm-hmm. score the equaliser um, as well. Like, and just, again, despite the fact that it was one of the bargains, just showing how valuable that he is. And mm. I think I think it was also like he was well within his rights to claim that Angelino own goal as well. I thought I couldn't <laughs> yeah. see that as a, like, I don't know whether it was just me, but like I couldn't see Angelino touch that. I thought it was Turan, but maybe I was, maybe not. It's from um, a different angle. It's from a different angle. But yeah, initially yeah, yeah. I didn't see that as being an yeah. Angelina goal either. But I think when you, yeah, when you compare Turan to Lukaku and the kind of composure in front of goal, it's just chalk and cheese really. But well, it's, he, just, it's just a shame he, for him. But yeah. yeah. His record in big games now, Turan, is just insane. It's been considered, it's been incredible mm-hmm. this entire season, but it's just another big game where it's turned up and got a goal and just absolutely run people ragged. I just think it's just an incredible season from him and like Inter to have a kind of off day and still score four goals. <laughs> like it's not by going, is it, Adam? They're looking. And if, if, if the result sticks, touch wood, if the result currently sticks with Juve at the moment, this is, yeah. um, it's pretty huge. This is going to be massive. You think Inter still have a game in hand as well on top mm-hmm. of that. And the match that I saw was that up until yesterday, Bastoni and Pavard are the only players, outfield players that haven't scored. And Bastoni has obviously got a goal. So now it's just Pavard. And Pavard was unlucky to get not get a goal because he had that shot from distance, didn't he? Yeah, it's yeah. just absolutely insane. So you, if you think about the way Inzaghi still managed to maintain that momentum, the consistency with the squads getting them still like hungry as well. Like the players off the bench, even when you think about the third and fourth goal, wasn't it? I think it was, Ar- Arna- no, sorry, the fourth goal, Arnautovic, Arnautovic basically yeah. ch- challenges. And, you know, Arnautovic in the last few weeks has been a bit criticised for the way he's missed chances that should be simpler to score, right? But it was his hard work that sets up that goal for mm-hmm. Bastoni. So, you know, him and Sanchez, they're just proving their worth at the moment, which is great for you, Rory. Oh, um, get to see, every time generally. I see Sanchez come on, I'm like, here he is. I'm just so happy to see him every time. I absolutely love him. Up. And he's going to, he, he could pick up another Scudetto medal and he's he's going to get those 10 it's appearances, you know. He's going to get those 10 appearances. Right? Will. I absolutely Definitely love it. But yeah, Inzaghi getting that squad feeling around going. Um, absolutely fantastic print. A huge win. Fantastic game. Roma can walk out with their heads held high as opposed to, the previous big games where they've just kind of gone out mm. with a whimper. So I think a really big yeah. statement for Roma, despite not getting the points. Um, let's move on from into Roma and we're going to go to the other side of Milan. Um, I'm not quite sure how Napoli didn't get something here, um, but a fantastic finish from Teo. Um, a really beautiful move as well. Um, gives mm. Milan the points. And Adam, this is a huge, huge win for Purely. Um, they were very lucky though, right? Massively, massively lucky. I think second half, it's all Napoli. Um, Napoli started, as I would say, not bad, but they just weren't very good when they came to doing something in the final third. Also holding on to the ball, they really did struggle mm-hmm. at times, even though they were kind of doing triangles at times. 
Um, once they lost that possession, they kind of sort of suddenly didn't know what to do in that transition between kind of, do they press or do they kind of go with the markers? It was really odd. And I think it goes to show that Mazzari hasn't really done much with this squad. Mm. He's really struggled with trying to embed a philosophy or style of play. At times, it felt like it was just down to Kfaratskela, get the ball to Kfaratskela and he would do something. Um, when Politano came on, it gave a bit more of an outlet, it has to be said. And I thought, um, I've forgotten his name, but was it um, not Almqvist, but uh, Lindstrom, yeah. when he did take the balls down the sides, um, he was quite penetrative in the fact that he was quite direct. I thought he was really trying to create some opportunities and causing a lot of issues for uh, Milan. But hand it to Milan, they defended really well. I think that's probably the criticism is that in the second half, they really did struggle to get any kind of possession of the ball. And when they did, they didn't really do too much apart from give it back to Napoli at times. Um, so yeah, uh, and you think about the criticisms um, and maybe observations from us is around Mike Magnan. Recent performances haven't been as strong, did really well on the night. Um, him and his defenders did really well. Um, and yeah, like you say, that move was incredible. Um, but one thing to highlight was um, the form of Rafael Leal, who uh, we talked about on Thursday, saying that obviously he's possibly seeking a move out of Milan. Only, was it three goals contribution yeah. or yeah. three shots on goal? Like It's so, so really poor for a player of yeah. his ability to be only that low. And I've, was it shots on goal this season's only been like nine? Nine yeah. shots on goal. Yeah, he's fifteen it's games terrible. without fifteen games without a goal as well. Liao. like that was a stat that yeah. came up in commentary, and it just mm-hmm. could not couldn't get my head around it. Especially when you see like the scintillating form that he was on last season, and even when he does create something, because of kind of the nature of the way that he plays, and especially with his physique, he's exactly kind of the kind of winger that you want in modern football. And he is mm. so threatening when he picks the ball up and runs. Like there's probably not many more wingers that you'd ha- mm. want to not want to face. Sorry coming up against Liao. And there was a chance where he really showed that quality kind of running in from the left, cutting inside, and he whipped a shot just wide. And that's when they then referred to that stat of it being 15 games without a goal. And you just couldn't, even though we've, you know, talked many times about his struggle for form, not even just in a goal scoring sense, just generally in terms of overall play. And I think that's why you touched on rightly as well about potentially him playing for a move. But he's, you know, he's not exactly doing that, is he? No. Isn't he? I, regardless of the form that he's in, there's always going to be suitors for a quality player like that. And I would not surprise him if he went somewhere and really caught a light. But yeah, it's it's a very, he's an interesting kind of enigma, I think, Liao, because he's got so much quality, but he's just not really showing it at all this season. He's got PSG written all over him, I think. He's yeah, got like, exactly. he's, going to end, yeah. he's going to end out in Paris and win a few league earns and like show up in the Champions League every so often. I think it's such a shame because he is such a talented player, but we've said it every season even the Scudetto season, we said it every season, where it's like, if he could just do it consistently, he would be world-class. He just goes through these streaks, and this is just a particularly bad streak, and I think the Milan fans are really starting to lose patience with him because he is such a key part of that team. He's such mm. a key attacking threat. Like, yeah. when you've got, like, and Giroud is still, like, the top scorer this season, right? He's fantastic, incredible, but, like, he needs help, right? And the idea of Leao is that he takes a bit of the strain <laughs> off Giroud, right? That he kind of spreads it out a bit, and I think they're just not getting it. I think it's really super frustrating, but we do have to say... This is Milan's first clean sheet since January the 7th against Empoli. So it's a massive statement for them to actually get a clean sheet, keep Mm -hmm. it 
And, and again, as, as you said, Adam, Napoli had opportunities. They had the better of it in the second half. But how big is that for Maignan and the centre-backs to just be like, right, OK, there's one, build on it. Yeah, massive. When you think about now, that's five games unbeaten as well, Milan. They keep the pressure on chasing that second spot from Juventus. If Juventus do lose tonight, that puts a bit more of a distance between them. Um so, yeah, I, I think genuinely Juventus will be looking the other way now and looking over their shoulder to make sure that Milan aren't on their kind of backs. Um, but, yeah, massive result. But I think there's still question marks, and you've probably seen it, Rory, on social media around Pioli and his future still. Mm-hmm. Um, even after this result, the amount of Milan fans were like, I can't get behind this. I cannot get no. behind this any longer. It it kind of feels like that treading water kind of thing, waiting for the season to end so that you can then see yeah, what the next right. move is. Like they're, we've said it before, they're really lucky that there's a ten point gap between them and Atalanta, right? and they've done really well. Like it's yeah, not lucky; they've done really right. well to create that ten point gap mm-hmm. and have it there. But now it puts them in a position where the the pressure maybe this season is a bit off. They're not going to get involved in the title race. They are going to be in the Champions League purely. Can just pedal slowly and towards the end of the season i can imagine i can understand why that would add like lead to apathy and a bit of just right let's just get the season done and move on but it'll be interesting to see where milan want to go um we've seen their um approach in uh, recruitment has changed drastically recently their director of football has changed it's all been a lot of change so it'll be interesting to see who cardinale have in mind obviously everyone's after tiago motta but we will see who they get. Interesting times for Napoli. Yeah, Matsadi, this whole thing isn't really working, is it? Um, they're currently on 35 points. They're now four points behind Bologna in fifth. And my math isn't great. Um, seven? No, four points? No, wait. Oh, my God. Seven points behind Atalanta in fourth. I told you my math yeah. is terrible. Um, so it looks like Europe is slowly, slowly fading away from them, which could be huge and probably prompt a sale for Ozzermen in the summer, I imagine. Um, But let's leave Milan and Napoli there for now, and we're going to go down to the bottom of the table, and it's all change as, well, people in Zaghi has gone. Uh, (laughs) He didn't last very long. He came in this season, right? He was appointed this season, right? Yes, he was, yeah. I was trying to remember if it was this season or last season. So, yeah, he it didn't go well. Um, yeah. This was the game, didn't we? We said that if Salernitana lose this, then it's pretty much them relegated. I think that yeah. is the case. Huge win for Empoli. We will talk about them. But Salernitana have pulled the trigger and they brought in Liverani. Adam, massive. Do you think it will make any difference or is this preparation for Serie B? I think it's preparation, to be brutally honest. Um Maybe not with this coach either, to be fair, um, <laughs> because Liverani hasn't got a great kind of history. If you look at his coaching credentials, um, probably his best spell was with Lecce, where he managed to do mm-hmm. back-to-back promotions. And then on the final day of the Serie A season, almost kept them up. Um, but that said, apart from that, as you look at his kind of spells that he's had, he was sacked from Calgary in his previous role mm-hmm. that he had. And this was when Ranieri took over and got them into the playoffs for Serie B. Um, and then if you look at previous to that, you know, Leighton Orient, Leighton Orient was wow. where he was for a season and he got them relegated. Um, so yeah, he's, he's not a coach that I would necessarily associate with keeping teams up. Should we say, if you look at that record. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I do feel sorry for Inzaghi. He looks like an older version of David Nicola on the sidelines um, because of the grey hair. It's just taking it out of him, hasn't it? Um, yeah. 
on, on that day as well, Rory. I mean, Salentana did have a bit of fight. They did have a bit of quality, but Empoli just looks so much better than them in every way. I mean, just the way they kind of went about that game. Cambiaghi in particular, we have to call him out. He was yeah. just trying to set up lots of opportunities. Um, and it was, in fairness, it's the last five minutes. Last five minutes of the game confirms a good game to Empoli because it's a penalty to Diang and Cancellieri who gets onto that kind of counter-attacking move, which he's so fast as well. He's a man that we have to watch out for in the future. Um, so, yeah, fantastic win for Empoli. They needed that. That puts them in a better position. And if, I think... A few weeks ago, we were saying Frosinone got a good win. Obviously, they lost to Fiorentina 5-1. That basically puts them back into the relegation fight as well now. So it's just so up for grabs at the moment. I can see basically right now, Salonatana are pretty much gone, it's fair to say. I reckon they probably regret signing Jerome Botang probably now. Um, And I mean, it's just... I, I don't know what you do with Salentana. It's a shame, but they, they've been there on the cards for a number of seasons where they look like relegation favourites. Under Sosa, probably argue that probably was a turning point. That was um, their best period, I think. I think mm. what they failed to do, and these kind of signings of like Manolas and Jerome Boateng kind of sum it up, other teams that have come up have tried to build. Like Lecce have been yeah. like very sensible. They've built their squad. They've found value in the market. They've gone like, right, let's build a squad. Right, there's gonna yeah. be like just enough quality that will keep us in the league. Salernitana have been looking for that one name, right? They had Simi, yeah, they had like Buledia, Ribery. they had Tandreva, yeah. they've had like all of these players, Ribery, whatever, right? These and yeah. they've been like, This is the guy who's gonna solve our problems. This is the guy who's gonna solve our problems, as opposed to actually building a squad and actually adding a like wide depth. Um, and I think just looking at that team, yeah, like you said, they have moments of quality. But the, the squad just doesn't have enough of it to sustain yeah. those moments. And again, Kandreva comes closest, right? Kandreva has the minute of, 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 of brilliance or whatever. Yeah. And you just think, yeah, that's it. If he doesn't turn up, then there's nothing else. I think it's, yeah. a, really, it's a real shame because we've enjoyed having Salernitana in the league. They've given us a lot of incredible moments. <laughs> but yes, yeah. I think it's going to be um, a Rivederci at the end of the season, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but for Empoli, absolutely massive win in this appointment of Davide Nicola. Looks like a very astute signing, a very astute appointment. Obviously, they've backed him in the window as well, bringing in the likes of Zanoli, right? Uh, no, sorry, yeah. not Zanoli. Uh, bringing in Niang, right? Um, yes. And bringing in these these players that are going to get add a bit more quality, a bit more tooth up front, which was the only thing they were missing, right? Their defence yeah. hasn't been that bad this season. It's just they couldn't hit a barn door. But Niang has now got more goals this calendar year than they have, so that's good to see. Yeah. Um, and it'll keep Empoli, hopefully, up in the league. Absolutely huge for them. Um, yeah, and as you said, Cambiaghi, there's always one player there to be very, very excited mm. about at Empoli. They've just sold one, and I think Cambiaghi is going to be the one that bring that gets the spotlight now. So fantastic, fantastic win for them. Um, elsewhere, let's very quickly talk about the race for Europe. Um, there were some big scores this weekend. Um, should we start with Fiorentina or Bologna? Let's go with Fiorentina because they haven't had much joy Ooh. in recent weeks, have they? And then, uh, was- yeah. A paddling, Jesus Christ! Yeah. <laughs> that was a paddling. Five-one. Belotti getting his first goal for the club in his second appearance. Um, I think it is for the team. Um, yes, yeah. 
getting off to a quicker start than he did at Roma, which is fantastic to see. Icone getting his first goal in what feels mm. like a while. Martinez yeah. Cuarta chipping in with a few oh, goals this yeah. season now. And then Nico Gonzalez finally, he had a few chances that he should have scored, but he finally yes, scored. And then Barak, my guy, comes off the bench and puts the icing on the cake. But um, Adam, do you think this performance has been coming for a while or is this just Frosinone bending over and taking it, so to speak? I wouldn't have necessarily said I expected Fiorentina to win in that manner as well. Um, maybe get a draw um, because Frosinone have to, uh, over the last few games at least, shown that they've got something about them. Um, I've been really impressed by the one that scored Mazzatelli. Um, he's mm-hmm. been really good alongside Sule. Um, just scoring goals. I would not be surprised if he earns a move in the summer. Um, it's a shame because I think Frosinone needs that kind of player to build on yeah. going forward. But um, yeah, he's displayed really in the last few weeks. I think he's been on score sheet at least four times now. Um, so he's been important in terms of that goal contribution. Um, but yeah, Fiorentina back to showing potentially the promise that they can do. That's that's probably how I phrase it because, you know, Kone has been probably quiet he's just been reserved in terms of approach and I don't know if uh, Italiano said something different or did they just allow him to be a bit more kind of without the shackles of being mm-hmm. you know rigid staying to a system because with the way Fiorentina play they always rely on the wing backs but it wasn't necessarily a wing back kind of contribution it was a lot more through the center of the pitch yeah. and you could see like you said Nico Gonzalez probably should score free on the day so um Fantastic result for them um, and puts them back in a shout because I think last week when I had Andrea on the live stream, he wasn't really fancying anything beyond 10th position. So, um, yeah, his (laughs) hopes are back up. Let's put it that way. Things change very quickly in football. Ben, we'd love to see Fiorentina back up towards Fiorentina in Europe. again. Well, they're in Europe this year, but get get them in the Europa League. That's what we want, isn't it? Yeah, they they feel like yeah, it definitely feels like that. I've got bad memories of playing Fiorentina in Europa League. It feels like we mm. had them quite a few times. I remember um, one game we had against them. I think we went through in the tie, but or maybe we didn't. I think I feel like we played them two years in a row. And in one of the years, Roberto Soldado uh, missed Oof. one of his many open goals again. Well, actually, it wasn't him. He got played clean oh, through on goal with Nasser Chadley alongside him, and he just, <laughs> like, they literally had the whole half of themselves, and he decided to square it. Chadley and it was the most underhit pass and it just summed up exactly his time at uh, Spurs. But Fiorentina, yeah, I think they're well with him with a shout now. And I think mm-hmm. a win like that is only going to help. It feels like Belotti's been a, that's a pretty decent acquisition. Somebody definitely mm-hmm. knows where the back of the net is. And obviously if mm-hmm. they can get a Kona to hit form as well and Nico Gonzalez as well. So I think, mm-hmm. I think they're in with a shout. Obviously it just feels like from what you said about, you know, every time I hear uh, Andrea, either on TikTok or on here, he's just very <laughs> underwhelmed by their performances. But you know, it, it feels like maybe it's too early to say that they turned a corner. But it was a you know, it was a big, big win for them. Yeah, it's a, it's a statement definitely. They just need some form of consistency. Any form of consistency would be great. But I really hope this is like a new start for Bellotti. Obviously, the Roma move just mm. did not work. But it yeah. has the feeling of like this is the right level of club for Bellotti to really be like you know the main man again. Yeah, don't um, be a I mean, hero. Yeah, well, that's, and I, like it was a really good instinctive run into the box, nice finish, just a classic Bellotti goal. And you're like, all oh, right, okay, here we go. Like it felt really good. Um, and he didn't score in this game, but again, Beltran has been an incredible signing for them. Again, just needs mm-hmm. a bit more, a bit more consistency. But I'm always very excited when I see him play. Um, mm-hmm. But elsewhere in the race for Europe. The derby, I think it's a derby. Fiorentina, Bologna, I think they don't like each other anyway. But yes, Bologna, 
Yeah, I can never keep up with the... There's so many derbies in Italy. But um, Bologna 4-0. Orsolini, of course, I left him on the bench in my fantasy culture. And I genuinely spent half an hour, like, agonizing over whether to start him. I was like, do I play him? Do I play him? Do I play him? I didn't. You're welcome, uh, Bologna fans. He scored two. And his second goal in particular was an absolute banger. He's been one of my favorite players in the league for a very, very long time. I always bang on about him, but a fantastic performance from him. On his day, there's few wingers in Serie A that are a bigger problem than him. Just absolutely rinses defenders, cuts inside Mm. and just pings it. Delightful goals from him. But we do have to talk about, he's finally got his moment in the sun, Adam. He's been fantastic for them all season, but Bukema gets his first goal for the club and gets the ball rolling. Just a fantastic moment, right? I think it's a good opportunity to talk about how great he's been for them this season. Yeah, he's been fantastic since he transferred from AZ Alkmaar. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really displaying a lot of the traits that I think most teams would love to have right now. So again, he's probably in that kind of same ilk as your Radio Dragosan, for example. He's just got something about him, really solid in defensive duties. And the fact that he started to contribute in the goal, obviously, yesterday really, I think, will just help that kind of elevation of him and Bologna. They're just assembling a fantastic team at the moment. I really like Stefan Posh, for example, on that wing-back role as well. He's just so, just always there with assists and contributions in terms of goal opportunities as well. So I think this team is just so special at the moment. And as you alluded to, Orsolini was just absolutely incredible again. Just the quality he seems to show and, you know, he was off injured not that long ago, but last few weeks, he's just showing the difference of what he can add to the game. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I would not be surprised if he's called up to the Azuri national squad. I mean, I, I can't think of many kind of dynamic kind of wing backs sort of attacking midfielders that can do the same thing. Maybe called Pano, but he hasn't done it in recent weeks mm-hmm. for Monza. Yeah, I think yeah. he's still someone to keep an eye out on. But, yeah, Orsolini, just superb. And Xerxes, again, just, yeah, there's not enough superlatives. I think the mm-hmm. question will be is, will Bayern Munich actually sell him or will they try and call him back and, you know, yeah, yeah. keep hold of him? That's going to be a huge question mark for them. Um, but, yeah, no, Apollonia, just superb again. And I hope they're in a the top five mix by the end of the season anyway. Yeah. Again, another team, as is often the case with the teams when you get down to four, fifth, sixth, it's just about finding mm. consistency, isn't it? But now that's back-to-back wins, um, only one loss in the last five. They went through it. They had a tough Christmas or post-Christmas period. They really took a bit of a slump, but now they're starting to find their feet again. So great to see. Um, yeah, I think we will be seeing them in Europe, hopefully. Touch Wood and Orsolini. I just wanted to get that move. I wanted to get that move. Um, and again, Lewis Ferguson, fantastic. Seeing him with the captain's mm-hmm. armband, he's going to be the next one. I think that this summer there's going to be one of the one of the bigger boys are going to come and pick him off. He was fantastic again um, against Lecce. Just a bad day at the office for Lecce. Nothing to really worry about. Just a bad day. I think they're prone to this every so often. Um, after that big win against Fiorentina, I think it's a bit like after the Lord Mayor's show, right? Um, yeah. So nothing to nothing of much alarm there, but a fantastic win for Bologna. Um, elsewhere in Serie A, very quickly. Um, Lazio Immobile got his 200th goal for the club, right? He broke the yes. record, yes. Um, yeah. in a 3 1 win against Cagliari, huge moment. It feels like we've been waiting for this for a very long time, Ben. I've been waiting for this record to break for a very long time, but it's great to see him finally get it, right? In seeing uh, Immobile, 200 goals, yeah. He's been, I mean, he's one of the strikers, he's probably one of the most 
you know, he's that veteran striker in Serie A that's been around for such a long time now. And it feels like everyone, regardless of which club you kind of support, sort of almost has that love for him in a way, mm-hmm. I think, because he's been, he has just had this incredible longevity and the quality that he's shown within that. It feels like he's been around for ages in Mobile. And obviously, mm-hmm. been in Germany as well and come back to Serie A. And he's just, yeah, to get to that landmark, I'm sure is something that he's been looking to get to for a long time. And yeah, he's been an incredible strike. One of probably one of the most underrated strikers, I think, in Europe over the last sort of 10 yeah. or so years. It's because he didn't travel well. He only does well yeah. in Italy. Like yeah, in Germany yeah, yeah. and Spain, he was terrible. And then yeah. he came back to Italy and he was fantastic. So I think it just ruined his, his uh, reputation abroad completely. Um, yeah. But yeah, fantastic to see him get that record, even if it is for Lazio. Mm. Cagliari kind of sliding a little bit, Adam. It feels like they're really, really, really struggling. I think, personally, they did well to be outside of the relegation zone up until this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they needed to add some quality. I don't know if the signatures of Gaetano and Yerimina are enough, personally. Mm-hmm. But Gaetano, another goal of the season contender in this match. I mean, his shot from distance was incredible. Was it? Even though yeah. it was a bit behind the run of the game itself, where Lazio were leading quite comprehensively at that point. It gave them a little bit of hope, anyway. Um, and yeah, there was a few of these in Rory. I think the next game you're probably going to allude to, and I'm hoping you do anyway, is Atalanta general. Oh, we do yeah, we do need to talk about Atalanta. Let's um, go, let's go to Atalanta. Genoa one, yeah. Atalanta four. Charles de Ketelera, Adam, talk us through the season he is having. How short-sighted are Milan? This is starting to look a bit embarrassing. We we said it on the Thursday's pod, didn't we? We said it on the Friday pod when it was released. He's such an underrated player. It's just trying to work out his best way of playing him. He's one of those players that I think we just don't know where he's best suited to. Um, he needed a season to adapt in Serie A, let's put it that way. Again, it was a case of maybe mixed philosophies in terms of who actually wanted him at Milan. I think it's still Maldini signing in fairness. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, short-sighted if there there is this breach in his contract that says 22 million for Atalanta to activate and sign him on a permanent basis doesn't need to finish his loan spell or anything like that they can activate it I think they'll activate it personally mm-hmm. um, but the main call outs in this match not just those goals De Ketelé obviously scores a fantastic one Malinovsky with the equaliser was a superb one Cop Miners with that free kick um, and then just the point in terms of Gasparini as well seven years at Atalanta that was his 701 goals that have been scored in that space of time, which is absolutely insane as a bit of record. You think That's about what he's done at that club in terms of yeah. getting these talents, selling them on. Obviously, Rasmus Hoyland, Diallo springs to mind. But then you think of Pablo Gumas, for example. They've mm-hmm. got that production line. They continue. I know Ben was asking us about Edison a few weeks ago yeah, yeah, yeah. being yeah. linked. I mean... The guy just seems to do it. And again, if he gets De Ketelea on that kind of like, it's just incredible. I just, the, the word superlatives for that guy, yeah. he's just absolutely insane. Um, he and he got them to a I Champions hope... League quarterfinal? Yeah. Quarterfinal, yes. semi-final? That was when Ilicic right? was still he playing was quarterfinals. Yes. Yeah. He got them to the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah. Just incredible stint that he's having there. He's found a home and that that club is now at this point built around him, if you know what I mean. And he's just, he has that patience and that ability to develop players. It's It, it, it was watching AFCON as well. I saw Jeremy Boga 
And I was like, oh, I yeah. miss seeing him at Atalanta. He was always fantastic. Like, they've had so many really good players go through that club. Coop Miners is having an incredible season as well. Like, he's really mm-hmm. hitting serious numbers with his goals. He's obviously catching the eye of a lot of teams now, I think. But I'm just... I'm really glad to see him become the player that I thought he might be. I saw a player there. I'd always thought he was a bit too defensive-minded. He didn't really have that attacking output. But it really feels like he's starting to add that attacking output Mm. to his game now as well and become a bit more well-rounded. So just a fantastic, fantastic performances from them. Atalanta, that's a hell of a win away at Genoa. Like I know Genoa, they've been pretty good this year, and that's a fairly emphatic win. Um, And yeah, the Ketelera... Damn, see what happens when you just put your arm around a player and give them a bit of trust. It's a bit mad, isn't yeah. it? It's a bit mad. Yeah. Um, but great to see. And again, that puts Atalanta in two, all the way up to, I'm down at the bottom. They are in fourth on 42 points with a three-point gap ahead of Bologna. Four wins in a row, five unbeaten, really, really finding their stride. Just fantastic stuff for La Dea. Um, Adam, any other games you want to wrap up before we go? I think um, there was... Oh, well, Juve have lost to Udinese. Should we talk about yeah, that? That's the one. That's the one. I was just reading on the stats as well. It says an XG of 0.7 against 2.17 for their hosts. And um, just to compound it, that's the uh, third game without a victory for Juventus. So... Uh, yeah, point behind Milan. Milan can chase them. The wheels are coming off. I was, I didn't want to say anything because I saw we were in the 80th minute. I was like, Juve are definitely going to get their last-minute goal. They're definitely going to get yeah. their last-minute goal. Um, well, as it happened, Ben, Inter now, seven points ahead with a game in hand. We don't want to hand it over to them right away, but that is a pretty massive moment, right? Yeah, I'd say get the champagne on ice. I think I, I can't see with the kind of... the. The professionalism in which they've kind of gone about a lot of these big wins into obviously I think you saw the kind of contrast in not necessarily style but the the, the ability to win games in a different way obviously with the win last week against Uve a more kind of tighter affair and then obviously the way they kind of although Roma gave as good as they got they sort of dispatched them with that quality that they mm. do have so I think <clears throat> when you've got a team in that kind of form winning games in that manner especially with a game in hand as well and they've got the points on the board with the opportunity to go 10 points clear I just I can't see, I can't see Juve. And it's, uh, we've talked about this a lot. It just feels like um, with Juve, a lot of these kind of, the, I've, yeah, I feel like it's been a little bit of a false dawn for Juve this year. And it feels like this is sort of that result that pulls them back mm-hmm. into maybe where they actually are. They're a good side, but I just don't yeah. think, I just, I, plain and simple, I just don't think they're on Inter's level. And I, I think Inter might as well start the uh, start the celebrations now. I hope I can start getting mentally prepared for another party in this city because when Inter win the league, this is a fantastic city to be in. Um, I am getting excited, but let's not get too excited. Otherwise, this will be clipped up by plenty of people, I'm sure. Um, But guys, we are going to leave it there. Of course, this midweek, we do have Champions League. Um, We have the Cool Kids Club and the Even Cooler Kids Club with the Europa League and the Conference League. It's all coming Mm. back. We're not going to preview it. We're going to talk about it once it's happened Mm. because, again... I'm aware of time. Um, Ben, before I send these lovely people home, where can people find you? Um, Where can they see your tings? You can see my tings on... uh, on, Yeah, I felt like I had to say... Yeah, no, no, thank you. You saved Um, me there. That's all right. Um, Yeah, uh, Ben Talks Football on TikTok. Same on Twitter as well. Um, Just, yeah, daily Spurs kind of ramblings, general football stuff as well. So go and and have a look if, uh, if you're interested. 
Very nice. Adam, anything to say before we send them home? No, just make sure you add us on TikTok. That's all. Every week, yes. I'm just going to say it yeah. until we get to that 1K mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is it. Just follow us on TikTok. That, that is your homework for the week, guys. I'm going back yeah. to work mode. That's your homework for the week. Follow us on TikTok. Well, thank you for joining us, guys. Make sure to hit the like and subscribe button. You can find us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram and TikTok at Anglo Italian Pod. Um, and we will see you on Friday for a review of all the European football and a preview of the Premier League in Serie A. Ciao. A dopo. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. Top on the button. Podcast Network.